This time, this time, this time, this time It's different With Peter and Chris This time, this time, this time, this time It's different Bruce Valanche, an Emmy Award-winning comedy writer best known for the television show Hollywood Squares. We were handed the opportunity to interview him. But if this time the podcast was different because we were going to interview a famous American comedian, well, it needed to be good. It needed to be hard-hitting. We needed to ask the sort of questions no one's ever asked Bruce Valanche, or even anyone at all. What would that kind of question even be? What if we asked Bruce Valanche if he'd seen a ghost? If he had seen a ghost, well, surely he'd tell a hilarious tale about that encounter. Our interview would be shared around the world, elevating our tiny Canadian podcast to the level of some Barbara Walters interview or another person that interviews very well. But was it too deep a question? Whoa. Yeah. That's heavy, dude. That's heavy. That's a heavy question, dude. Yeah. I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Was he even a night person? If he was a night person, then surely he would be up at night when ghosts are up, leading him to absolutely see one. But if he was a day person, then we had nothing. Uh, I'm not getting anything on, uh, on Wikipedia. See, like okay, YouTube, type in, type in Bruce Google, Valanche. type in Bruce, Bruce Valanche, yeah. night or day. No, I, d I did do that, night or you day. You did that? Yeah. He's a comedy writer, probably he's a nighttime person, but he's also like a theater guy. Yeah. He's also a film and TV he's guy. He's in TV, I mean. so he'd be up early a lot. Google just says, um, did you mean to search for anything else? We decided to take that question straight to the source. Hi, can I get this, um, I'm gonna just get this um, uh, USB drive, thumb drive thing, and okay. uh, I was also wondering if you thought Bruce Valanche was a night person or a day person? We thought we oh. would just check here. Oh yeah, no, I, no idea. We sell electronics here, not answers to weird questions. Okay, thanks, thank you, yeah. sir. It's your no problem, have a good day. Don't forget your thumb drive. And we were forced to take that question to the man himself. We of course couldn't begin with that question. We would need to conduct an entire interview until his guard was down enough to ask. Bruce Valanche, have you ever seen a ghost? Okay, I've organized my hair. I don't organize my hair. Peter, did you want to Okay, well, then, come on, guys. Oh, a little burn. A little burn right <laughs> off the top. One little strand over your forehead looking like, like a pituitary gland. Oh, look at that, yeah. Uh, oh, that's... Oh, you're talking to Chris. Yeah, I kind of... Yeah. I actually checked my forehead, and I was like, well... It's like this... <laughs> Bruce, you're having a good time? <laughs> oh. No? You, don't, you can't see my hands. <laughs> yeah, good point. Oh, that's why you wanted to be on this podcast, because of how handsome I am. That's right. You got it. <laughs> Okay, first of all, I think uh, we just need to see uh, that shirt. I'm seeing the top of it right now, and I okay. just want to get a quick... There we are. That's the shirt. <laughs> Golden showers. That's one of your uh, your trademarks, is your uh, your shirts. When did that start yeah, for you? Yeah, what's like, with the shirts? <laughs> and do you um, have... It started... Well, it started in childhood. Because I had a, a, I was a fat kid, and I had a very fastidious mother, 
and I always had to look just so, and she made me dress up all the time, and uh, and I and I hated it. And the moment I got free, uh, I ripped off all of the the ties and all the the tight collars, and I just started dressing as casually as possible. But uh, I was totally in in step because it was the hippie period, and everybody was running around in in caftans and and bell bottoms and uh, t-shirts and ripped things. Everything was distressed. And then I moved to L.A. and I discovered in L.A. you can go to the best restaurant in town wearing a nightgown. So, <laughs> well, I never tried that myself. I've been with people who have. And right. uh, I, 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 did, I, I had this look. I was in Chicago before that and I used to wear a, t- a T-shirt with a shirt over it so you could get the joke. And then I called it the layered look. I'd recently been layered. And I went to L.A. and I discovered I didn't even have to have a pretense of a shirt. <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> became my signature. And I, uh, when I went on Hollywood Squares, it became a thing. On right. The glasses and the T-shirt. The glasses, so it wasn't always a... Do you remember the first joke T-shirt that you wore? Do you remember what it was? Oh, my God. I, you know, I don't. Wow. That's a very good question. I was asking very good questions. The interview was already going very well. It may have been... Uh, and, and this is not so brilliant, but it, it may have been the witch from The Wizard of Oz spelling out Surrender Dorothy. As <laughs> okay, the, yeah. As I mean, it was just a gay thing. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and there was a, a, a store in, uh, in West Hollywood, where else, called Surrender Dorothy. Uh, and it was um, uh, and it was their T-shirt. Right. <laughs> but uh, it, it could have been early. I mean, I had... Uh, I've been doing it for, this is, you know, we're talking like 50 years of t-shirts. 50! <laughs> what, do, you, do you still have them all? Like, do you, do you have to do a purge yeah, every, every so many years? Can you give us a tour years? of your, of your uh, have, shirt uh, closet? Oh, no. I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you, this is too much technic, technical shit for me. I, you know, yeah. I can sit here and talk. But oh, you're doing great. Yeah. All progress was immediately thwarted by Peter's request for him to pick up his laptop and tour it around his house. We had work to do. What do you think I am, millennial? <laughs> Pick my laptop off. <laughs> Tour it around my house? No. Tour it around my house? Can't bench. <laughs> I, have, I have about, it must be about 5,000 of them in there. 5,000? Uh, wow. Yeah, a lovely, well, it's been years. It's a lovely storage facility out in the valley. I have an assistant who occasionally uh, will, will say, time for a call. <laughs> and, uh, and she'll run out to the valley and she will start you know now that you, we can do it on the phone she'll start sending me you know pictures you want this one you want this one you want this one yeah they're basically the ones that are in storage are the ones that were like uh very funny at the time that mean nothing now right that i could probably get rid of and uh we tried ebay and we tried a lot of stuff but it, it's just basically it's just can you give them away i mean i have, actually yeah. have a story about about one of them um, in that light, a friend of mine, uh, some years ago, turned 40, and he was a rock and roll manager. Uh, he managed uh, Matchbox 20 and uh, people like that. No way. He had, yeah, he had a lot of money, and uh, his wife had a huge house in Beverly Hills, and his wife cre- created this gigantic thing with clowns and serving stations and the work. And everybody got a gift bag as they left it in the gift bag was a t-shirt that says, Oi Vezmir, Michael has turned 40. And I kept it, you know, I mean, it went on a pile of t-shirts. I was no place I could wear it. Uh, 
And the assistant was going through doing the call, and she said, do you want this? And I said, oh, no. I said, what are you going to do with it? She said, well, these are going to Goodwill. So she sent out a whole bunch of T-shirts to Goodwill. Six months later, middle of the night, I'm watching. I'm, I'm surfing. And here comes Sally Struthers, and she's in Africa. And she is making a pitch to feed the children of the Wambasi tribe. These they haven't eaten in 14 days. You have to write a check now. And she's got a bunch of children of the Wambasi tribe standing around her, one of whom is wearing a T-shirt that says, Oy Vesmir, Michael has turned 40. <laughs> and I thought, the odds that that is any other T-shirt than my T-shirt that went yeah, to Goodwill are so slim. So I called Sally and I said, uh, that kid's wearing my T-shirt. I was wondering where that shirt came from. <laughs> <laughs> look African to me. She's on her game. There it was, a glimmer of hope. The world was small, and if Bruce Valanche was no stranger to strange coincidence, maybe, just maybe, this applied to ghosts. You may, you may find one as you're, you know, going, as you're stomping through the uh, gas lamp or whatever they call that in Vancouver. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's yeah, what, what I, do they call it? That's, gas what, I'm gonna, right? that's what I'm calling it now. <laughs> I'm I calling it of the British properties doing, yeah. while, while doing a movie there. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you I said, bet I learned Vancouver. I love it. Uh, well, I'm glad you said that. That makes me I feel wonderful. I moved away from there. Chris, I think it's back. beautiful, moved but away. I chose moved I chose back. a different path. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, Boo about Blay seven years ago. Yeah, even Buble. We still have Buble, uh, Chris. Worked with, I worked with Buble. And for, for Michael, uh, that was the big city, you know, because they were like uh, uh, crab fishermen, his, his, his people. And he grew up on a boat. It's all very exotic. And now he's well, he married this Brazilian beauty. And, what and, was it that you worked with Michael Buble on? Uh, his act. When he first oh. when it first happened, he mm -hmm. did a stage act. Right. Uh, did you write uh, jokes for, he, yeah, for Buble? Yeah. It, by he was my old friend Liz Rosenberg, who uh, was was Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. She was the Madonna person, and she would she she made so much money with Madonna that they made her a vice president of Warner Brothers. And so any <laughs> new Warner act that came in, she was in charge of molding. And so she kind of found him, and uh, and and when he started out, and he had this, you know, he had. The one song, Home, which was a big hit. And then oh, he had, yes. everything else he did was like Sinatra, Tony Bennett stuff. My enthusiasm for Michael Buble came through far too much in the moment. I didn't even like his single, Home, that much. Why did I make it seem that way? I was losing myself, and potentially the interview. Right. Uh, because that's what he likes. And, uh, and of course, he's good at it. So we yeah. put an act yeah. together, uh, you know, to make him uh, somebody who sings old standards, but is very... Uh, new. I wouldn't say cutting edge, but you know. Well, it's, it's coming up to time to in the year Michael Bublé time is is December. I have well, a Michael yeah, Bublé album. You just toss yeah. that Christmas album on, and that's but the, the, my yearly the, dose of him. Christmas specials. <laughs> I don't think there is. I don't know if there is one this year. The, I haven't done them in a few years, but I did. I did one or two of them. The important question to ask is, and if and you spill spill the beans as much beans as you want to spill, but what is he spill like to work beans. with as a person? Oh, he's he's adorable. He's okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's a good guy. Listen, I mean he now has. It, it, it has such a deeper dimension because he was ill and his child was ill and he's gone through a lot of stuff. But he is—he's uh, a good—he's a good guy and uh, and a real family guy. I mean, he's never like the family is a part of this whole thing. And 
Having known Peter for many years, I knew his unquenchable thirst for spilled beans was a risk. But now, now we were way off track. He's, he's, very, he's very smart and balanced. Was that enough beans for you, Peter? I wanted more yeah. spilled I wanted beans. More drama, maybe, but I think like it is what it is, you know. Like... <laughs> I know what you mean because because I mean he sings sings romantic stuff and and he's lighthearted <laughs> and all of that, you know. And he's not Judy Garland who was singing romantic stuff but was torn apart from the inside. There's a, there are two kinds of performers, right. you know. That, um, they're they're the ones who. Is what they do, and they're the others for. This is who I am, and I'm. <laughs> it's desperate. Um, okay, the, here I've got a question for you right off, uh, right off the bat. Which right is, off the bat. Right off, off the, the bat. bat. This, we're just gonna get started now. Um, no. oh, okay, yeah. sixteen minutes in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he plays no. for the Montreal Expo. Yeah. <laughs> no, my question is, uh, you were saying about how you you you, you started wearing the joke shirts on uh, Celebrity Squares. Um, Hollywood Squares. Hollywood Squares, uh, sorry. Yeah. And which was kind of a celebrity, celebrity squares. squares. You're not wrong. I think it was called that in England. I think they hmm. called it. That's probably why I said that. Um, I, there you go. My mom is British, <laughs> so that's why. <laughs> that cover must, covers my mistake. No, but here's my question, Bruce, which is you're on Hollywood Squares, uh, and now you are on uh, the, the tiniest Canadian podcast that was possible <laughs> to find. So my question, Bruce, is like, are, are you okay? Is everything okay over there? Oh, the mighty have fallen. <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, I'm Quarantina Turner. I'm sitting here with no pants, writing writing things, writing jokes. Uh, there's no place to perform. I, I go out yeah. and I do like my one-man show. So these podcasts come along, and I think this is fun. And the tr truth be told, uh, I'm writing I'm writing a book, mm -hmm. and telling these stories brings things up. Uh, lunch, and then after that, it brings up the I, things I didn't I've forgotten about that I, that <laughs> I could put in. Right. So yeah. It's actually for me, it's kind of like an archaeological exercise. <laughs> yeah, you're just sort of so, digging through your brain. And yeah. finding new things <laughs> but you well, i mean but you know that a, a lot of these podcasts are people who were just they're trapped in their mother's basement forever and <laughs> they finally yeah. figured out something to do and uh they're not they're not nearly as pulled together as you guys are <laughs> well we're still trapped well, I mean, in some basements yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i mean i'm on the second floor of a house but i mean i'm living with five roommates so <laughs> it's a it's a situation like that still as is the canadian way we quickly diverted his compliment to talk about his american success so you've written for basically so many people and you wrote for the oscars for many many years it seems that you did you stop doing that in 2014, it, it seems? Was there a reason? Did you just uh, 18, have enough? Think, well, the last credited uh, one I did was 18, I think. Was 18, was yep. The, the legendary uh, uh, James Franco and Hathaway show. Oh, that year, yes. Oh, yeah. And then um, uh, everybody, everything changed at the Academy after that. The, the guy running the Academy died. Uh, oh, the, man. the guy who produced 17 of the shows died. And the guy running the academy quit, and they they younged everything up, and I kind of got aged out. Oh. And, uh, yes, and partially, <laughs> and then, but I continued writing it, but I just wasn't getting a credit for it. I continued writing four different people on the show because they would bring people in to write who had no idea what the show was about. Generally, uh, most of the hosts were people who had uh, television shows, and right, they would right. bring their staff over. For a little double dipping 
And the staff would, would while they were writing Jimmy Kimmel Live, would write, or whatever it was, would write yeah. the Oscar show. And a lot of them had never done anything like that before. And, you know, they were, they were used to writing for their guy, even if it was Ellen, their mm -hmm. guy. And, uh, and so they, would, they needed to, there was no money left. They needed to bring other people in who, who knew what they were doing. There was no money. And so uh, people would kind of work for their friends. Right. Oh. <laughs> Did you find it difficult ever? Like, so you've written for like Robin Williams and many different people. Do you find it hard to either uh, adapt to their voice or yeah. be like, that's a good joke. I'm going to hold that one for me. I don't need to give that away. <laughs> well, oh, it depends on how desperate I am. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I don't perform that much that, I, that, you know, that that happens. And most of the stuff that I write is very uh, site specific. Uh, you know, it's, it's for a particular thing at a particular time, and and probably uh, it, it won't. If it echoes through the corridors of time, it's only because it it, it it hit on a nerve. Most of the time, it's just stuff that the next day doesn't mean as much as it did on the day you did it. Um, but uh, everything needs to be tailored. You know, I, I right uh, generally it's all about. Uh, understanding who they are and and what's comfortable on them and and tailoring it to them and I I have a facility for that I'm very lucky that way I always say uh, in deference to playwrights and screenwriters who only do that uh, and novelists it's uh, they have to create all of that mm. you know, I am handed a personality and said write for this personality oh. problem is when you're handed somebody who has no personality who is an actor Johnny Depp, right. who is an actor, and there's no Johnny Depp character. And he he realized that after a few outings where he had to do things, and he and he began creating a Johnny Depp character for himself. You know, the hip, the guy who is yeah, cool right, a man smoking man who lives in France, right. little exactly. mustache, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but I mean, some people like Keanu Reeves has never, you know, come up. And, I, and we had a tragic episode where he very very willingly inhabited the Bill and Ted character for an award show. And it was it just a hideous bomb. Oh and no. <laughs> I take full responsibility for it. And he was very, he didn't really give a rat's ass, but uh, <laughs> right. that's why you don't see Keanu Reeves at Carnegie Hall. Most of the Oscar jokes I imagine are in the realm of roast humor about celebrities. Is there a- There's some of that. that I mean, yeah. One, yeah. I mean, you can't be too mean. You can't be Ricky Gervais. I mean, not on the Oscars. I mean, on the Golden Globes where everybody's drunk and no one gives a shit. But on <laughs> yeah. the Oscars where actual careers are on the line. And, and Was there a joke that you wrote that maybe it was too much? Like you see Ricky Gervais going too far? Oh, we or, had. Yeah. This, this, this goes way back. But um, it was when Billy Crystal was hosting the show and um, there was a, a Richard Gere was supposed to present, mm. was presenting on the show. And uh, there was a movie out that, it was the year of uh, the Richard Gere gerbil rumor. Right, yes. yes. And there was a movie out that year called An American Tale, which was an animated yeah, thing about the, a mouse. Yeah, the mouse, Fievel, yeah. Right. And I uh, cried to that movie, joke as a boy. was going to do was, uh, Richard Gere was going to present tonight with Fievel, but Fievel backed out. Oh. <laughs> and okay. he was about, and you know, uh, when you're at the Oscars, there are like 14 cameras run, roaming around. And when, when you're sitting there and the camera comes up to you in the audience, oh, yeah, 
you know if you're not in the next category, they're going to do a joke about you. Because oh, is that right. the only reason why they're going to you? They're so it's going like, to get ready. To something. I see. And they've they yeah. chosen you at that because there's something that they know you're going to want to react to. And so the camera came up the aisle to Richard. And we were backstage and Billy was saying, Richard's going to have a heart attack. Look at that. And he, color had drained from his face because he knew there was about to be a joke. He knew it was what it was going to be. Probably. Oh, no. So Billy said, I can't do it. And, uh, uh, and we didn't do it. He didn't do it. We were no saints when it came to roast comedy. There was maybe some dirt about us that should be shared. Peter and I dipped a toe into uh, hosting a, uh, uh, a theater award show. When we, we did theater school. We went to theater school together. That's how we know each other. But we were, um, I, I think about it often because yep. we were giving away like uh, best performance, best actor performance, uh, best comedic performance. And uh, we did a, a, a roast and we gave away best comedic performance to um, this director uh, as a director. So it was like his, the best comedic yeah, performance of the year was this man directing this right. play. And, direct. and boy, did he felt so bad he came up to us after just was that wasn't a very funny joke and i think that was the only time or the first time i felt i don't want to do comedy that like i know like in any direction yeah that you that you were wrong that you were caught you know yeah and i think about it all the time he doesn't follow me on facebook anymore so you know that it was serious you know so uh, speaking of offending people, um, did you did you do something to Trey Parker or Matt Stone? Did you did you piss off the South Park guys or something? No, well, they they use me. I'm I'm the coon, right? <laughs> Got three shout outs to me. Uh, yeah. One was like the kid dressed up as the Incredible Hulk <laughs> for Halloween. And Halloween then, costume. Uh, no, I don't know. They, they just, I mean, I've I've met them. I met them once with Mark Shaman, who was their collaborator on uh, Blame Canada yeah. and uh, yeah. Shut Your Fucking Face, Mother, Mother, Uncle Fucker. Uncle and, Fucker, yeah. <laughs> and um, and they were nominated and they all came and they, and you know, Trey came in drag and uh, and they dressed Mark up as a, they dressed Mark up as a Mac Daddy pimp. And were they um, on acid or something at that one when they were wearing dresses? You know, I don't know. Mark, I'm sure, was not, but they may have been. I don't know. But, um, uh, and I, actually, that's when I met them. I, that was the Oscar show. Actually, Blame Canada was nominated, and Robin did the number. And uh, we got the notes from the ABC censor about all the things we had to cut. <laughs> you know, you can't call Anne Murray a bitch. <laughs> all these, I framed the memo. It was too, and that's when I, I've actually met them before because we I had to call them to kind of negotiate with them about what. The, what they would what they would lose and what they could, could keep. They were great, actually. Yeah, you know, when you're out there, uh, you're a, a figure of fun. I mean, I make fun of people. People make fun of me. So I have a, a list of all these uh, these people who've done me on SNL. It's very flattering. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Yeah. Every, every think... fat guy on SNL has done me. Okay. <laughs> who did it the best? Yeah, who's I'm... the best, Bruce? <laughs> what a very good question. I was nailing it again. Uh, only to be undermined immediately by Peter's cough. I can't, Horatio Sands was pretty good. Yeah. And uh, uh, Will Ferrell was funny. And actually, the strangest one of them all was uh, was David Cross. David Cross did a Bruce Willis. The MTV Awards, yes. Okay. The <laughs> awards. And then there were the people who I get mistaken for all the time, like Michael Moore. 
Yeah. Who, you know, people think I'm Michael Moore and people think I'm Amy Schumer. And, you know, <laughs> Amy Schumer. <laughs> she mentioned me in her book. She said, uh, she said what, I, what she looks like when she gets up in the morning. <laughs> she said, I look like Bruce Valanche. I said, and if you don't know who Bruce Valanche is, picture a barn owl with red glasses. <laughs> <laughs> so ever since then, I, I introduced myself as, hello, I'm Amy Schumer. Do you have any, uh, do you have like any, maybe, I don't know why I'm taking the role of like the guy looking for the drama, but I just feel like it today. So I, I'm wondering like, do you, <laughs> he's giving me the eyes. Do you have? <laughs> I know why, but I'm looking for the dirt. Oh, I want to know why. <laughs> I want to be psychoanalyzed, but I want to know also uh, if you, do you have any nemeses? Do you have any people in Hollywood that are like, oh no. He was fiending. When would he have had enough spilled beans to be satiated? I worried that we would never get to the ultimate question of ghostly encounters. I'm sure I do. I don't know who they are. I mean, you know, it's like years ago when, when uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's uh, when I was drafted, which happened here in, during Vietnam, and I checked the box that said I was a practicing homosexual, and they said, are you a practicing homosexual? And I said, no, I've got it down. <laughs> They said, well, this will go on your record and, you know, employers will see this. And I thought, I don't want to work for anybody who wouldn't want me to be there because I'm a, a homosexual. Yeah. You know, and and uh, it's worked out. <laughs> yeah, you're like, so oh, I'm perfect. Sure, I'm sure that there are. Yeah, I'm sure there are people who, you know, I mean, who diss me all over the place. But uh, what am I going to do? So your first great nemesis was the uh, the U.S. government. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> yes. The, the the funny part of of all of that was uh, so many guys were looking for a way out because if you were if you had a student deferment yep. and um, and it was up and they they drafted you and uh, you would try anything to get out of it unless because they knew you were going to be shipped over to Vietnam so a lot of guys checked the box. And when you checked the box, you, they took you into a side room and the shrink came in and started asking you the most embarrassing, vile questions. No way. To see if you were really gay. They were right. all about oh. sex. They were all sex practices and this and that. And, and the straight guys, of course, would freak. Because, right. you know, that the gay guys would say, yeah, right, I've done that. And also <laughs> I did that. Yeah, but if you do it just on, add on head, to standing it. Standing on your head, it's even better. And if you hold it <laughs> right over your crack, it's amazing. And so they, they, of course, if you were a straight guy with a great imagination, you probably you could pass the test. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I, you know, I didn't have to. I didn't have that particular caveat. I was okay. right. Now you went to to theater school as well. I'm seeing yeah, here. Yeah. Um, the Ohio State University. The, the Ohio nice. State University for theater and journalism. That's now, um, because we're still trying to figure it out because we went to theater school too. And yeah, it didn't work for been, us. Been <laughs> able to successfully uh, launch into a, seems that you went from like um, theater school to uh, meeting Bette Midler and writing for her. So what is that, that well, I, chunk in the was, middle? I had, a, I had a, an arts, uh, I had an arts degree from Ohio State, but it was, my majors were theater and journalism. So yeah. I was always writing. I was the editor of the Ohio State Lantern, Circulation 55. And I was uh, doing shows. I was doing always doing both. And and 
but uh, I wasn't getting, when I would go up for things, like I'd go back to New York, because I'm from New Jersey, I'd go back to New York and audition for things. And uh, I wasn't getting cast because I was, uh, I was too young for what I, for, you know, for what I was up for. And so I always wanted to have uh, the writing career going at the same time. And so I took a job at the Chicago Tribune um, after journalism school and, uh, with, and with my theater degree also. And I, and I kept doing things, working as an actor in Chicago and writing. And that's where I met Bette Midler. She was doing a nightclub act. She was on Broadway and Fiddler on the Roof as the right. oldest daughter. And she, on her vacation, she would take time off and she would go out and do this act. She didn't act every night in New York at midnight, but uh, uh, then she got a gig in Chicago. And uh, I, I went to see her because a friend of mine owned the club. And I went to see her and wrote about her. And oh, you reviewed her. I, wrote. I uh, see, yeah. yeah. And she said, that was funny. And I said, well, you're funny. You should talk more. And she said, you got any lines? <laughs> and, uh, and she meant jokes, not lines. Uh, so I started writing for her, and that was 50 years ago. <laughs> and she's only 38, so it's, yeah. Of course, yes. She's remained 38. I like that that story is kind of what uh, we are also always told, which is like, uh, be ready when you get an opportunity. So have a pitch ready, have some stuff ready, because at some point somebody's going to be like, you got any lines? You got something? And yeah, you need right. to be right. ready with the thing. And, you know, the definition of luck is talent meets opportunity. Yeah. Or, or actually, it's preparation meets opportunity. Right, yeah. Oh. Talent See, really we're not doing... Not required for a lot of it. Right. Preparation meets opportunity. Right? Yeah, we have to do the preparation part, Peter. That's what well, that's well, what we're lacking. I think we're we prepared. need to do the preparation part. I also need to work on the talent part. But other than that, like, then all we need is opportunity. Exactly. <laughs> After some unhealthy amounts of Canadian self-deprecation, we managed to crawl out from under our own self-doubt and find a common language. Jokes. My mother had a great joke. When, uh, as, uh, towards the end, she said, you know, the first 90 years are easy. The second 90 are a bitch. <laughs> you can't make them through them. Yeah. Really, um, she quit at 95, so that was what... That, that works? That was her point. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite, just okay, my favorite on. street joke. Maybe it's my favorite, or it's the one that I remember. Okay. Um, it goes like this. Um, knock, knock. Who's there? Two. Two who? Oh, it's um, it's to whom? <laughs> Very good. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Uh, here's a musical comedy version of that. Yeah. Ira Gershwin, who was a great lyricist, uh, wrote among the, among the many songs he wrote with his brother and other people was uh, "Let's Call the Whole Thing Off," and they were auditioning for uh, something, and uh, they were the auditioners were told to come in with a, a song that he had written. And so this girl comes up and she starts singing. She says, you say potato, and I say potato. You say tomato, and I say tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. And Iris says, uh, thank you, Miss Levine. She says, that's Levine. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We were laughing. If there was a time to begin the hard-hitting questions, it was now. Um, this is a segment that uh, is brand new that we're going to try out. It's called yep. uh, The Big Questions uh, with Bruce. Yeah. We do it every time we have a person named Bruce on. So this is yeah. 
This is the yeah, second time. Big. Yeah, big questions. <laughs> uh, we forgot to do it when the first time we had a Bruce on, but now, yeah. now, we, now, now we've got it. I was immediately caught in a lie. Something I thought would come off as a joke, of course, fell flat because it just wasn't funny. I quickly recovered. Um, just my buddy. Yeah, <laughs> we tried. We tried. Really we weird, tried to get you, you Bruce. Know, I changed my name from Caitlin to Bruce. <laughs> Oh, that's a weird world. When I transitioned many, many years ago, so it's like oh, a net balance. Reverse. There was a plus one, minus one. It all balances out. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here comes the first uh, big comes. question. Here oh yeah, and so, wait before you start, Chris. I just want to say, like Bruce, these are super serious, like really deep, really intense questions. So like, mm -hmm. get ready. We're gonna dig uh -oh. deep on these. Okay. Here. Um, okay. I'm getting deep and Yeah. Um, who are you currently jealous of? Oh, that is a big question. Oh, uh, wow. well, uh, Ava Mendez, because she's fucking Ryan Gosling every night. <laughs> <laughs> Had two children with him, so maybe not every night. But not every, every other. So there's one, you know, she she, she married a hot Canadian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which reminds me, what do they call, what's the Santa Claus up there? There's another, the Bonhomme something. Oh, oh Bonhomme de Neige. He's not so much Santa Claus Bonhomme as he is a, uh, a, a bombadil abominable yeah. snowman yeah he's oh, just no. like a snowman he's uh, just oh, like this okay. yeah weird it's but, a it's more of a quebec thing than anything yeah uh which are canadians uh, i know ryan Gosling. yeah was, but he did a, a joke about it on snl some years ago and i could i just couldn't remember there's so many of these canadian actors on hallmark movies yeah. i love hallmark movies they're all oh, the yeah. same movie there's a oh, high-powered yeah. female executive who goes home to rescue the, her father's antique shop that he died, and she meets the town vet and falls in love with him. And her choice is, do I go back to this or do I go stay home? And this happens at Christmas, it happens at Easter, it happens uh, around, you know, uh, summer, there's a, a <laughs> Halloween, Thanksgiving. Oh, every, every holiday, one woman yeah. has this dilemma. And They're all just the Christmas carol. Right. Over and just... The Lifetime movie where yeah. It's Christmas and she's being stalked by her Iraq war vet who has husband who has PTSD. Uh, or she is she's fucking the kid in the, the quarterback of the football team. She teaches English lit at the high school. I mean, it's all they're all the same movie. They blend. There should be one. This, I'm surprised no one has done like a, a scary movie, date movie version of Hallmark movie of Hallmark movie. Oh. Hallmark I remember there was movie. a. There was Will Ferrell in, uh, and uh, Kristen Wiig did one, but it wasn't, I started watching it, and it was not a parody at all. It was oh, just it was so <laughs> serious. They just oh, made a doing, Hallmark movie? It opens with like Will Ferrell like chatting about his book with friends, and then um, Kristen Wiig like looks out, and their kid is drowning, and it's just <laughs> actually sad. <laughs> and then she loses her baby, I think. And I'm just like, like, oh. This is they like just, the, Will, the, the Will Ferrell, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus movie where they're in the avalanche in Switzerland. and Oh, that's right. And that's and a remake. Away yeah. And he leaves them to die. And then the marriage breaks up. And she's, I mean, and you think from, from the trailers, you think, oh, Will Ferrell, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah. This is going to be fun. And then it's just serious. Holy shit, it's Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> <laughs> I love that as a premise, the, the moment that like you show yourself 
has a like a coward to your family right. and then how what's the rest of your life like now yeah, if you've exactly. le left them to they die can't take you seriously anymore yeah you know, that's such a good premise yeah that kind of made me think of a question that could uh maybe we can uh see what you think of this which is i was thinking about how like that's a will ferrell movie so you go into it and you're like oh i'm gonna go see a will ferrell movie and then at, there must be a group of audience members who are disappointed when they get in the movie they're like what the hell is this and oh, yeah. so this yeah. is my question to you is yeah. I think for the most part, like you said with um, Vietnam, uh, when you tick that box, I think you've always been very true to just who you are. Um, but did you ever feel like you had created for yourself a brand or a type of thing that you needed to stick within? Did you ever feel trapped by like this image or is it just straight up? You're like, nope, this is who I've been and I've never wanted to stray outside of it. Um. It's an interesting question. I mean, it, it, I am who I am. And yeah. uh, there's no question about that. So I've never been uncomfortable with that. I think other people have. I know that I think, I think I've had limited opportunity as an actor because they look at me and they say, well, he's an icon or, or he's funny. And, uh, and you know, they, they think I, I will show up with this hair and these glasses and a T-shirt that I am not willing mm. to do what Matthew McConaughey will do, <laughs> that I am not, you know, I mean, that I will, I will be a character if you let me be a character. So I, I know that that's been inhibiting. And I know that, uh, um, it, but you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I, I auditioned once for David Mamet play. It was a comedy and mm -hmm. uh, uh, Joe Montello, who was a friend, is directing it. Nathan Lane, who was a friend, and Laurie Metcalf, who was a friend, they were starring in it. And uh, and the character I was doing, that I was auditioning for, was a kind of a character. He was a, he was a very straight kind of uh, Washington type yeah. who comes unglued in the course yeah. of. It. And uh, the director said, "You know, you're very funny." He said, "It's." The problem is the minute you walk out on stage, they're expecting you to be you. Mm. And yeah. we can't ask them to make this buy. It's too much. Right. It will, it will throw the, the balance off. Right. And I understood. I mean, I, I got it. I got it. There are some people who are just kind of like that, you know, generally. But I get that I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm my own type. <laughs> hard to get away from. So I did hairspray for two years and I was a woman and it was a whole other thing. And that that didn't enter into it, so that was why that was the ideal role for me. And yeah. So, uh, so I, you know, I look for those kinds of, of things, and I, I've been offered a few things that I could have done, but eh, the money wasn't right, or the timing wasn't right, or, but they were they were all extreme kind of you know characters. I just, it just logged a memory for me. I'm not writing a book, so there's no need for me to uh, to tell this story. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, I remember sort of the uh, auditioning for You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And uh, I walked in and I had prepared this David Mamet monologue. for <laughs> <laughs> So, and it was from, from like the, Gary Glenn Ross. No, it was from the play Edmund. Um, oh, yeah. And that's this, it's totally like not appropriate for it really yeah, at all. I was probably like 23 and it's this guy in prison and he's, uh, he's, 
questioning the guard, like if what, with the existence of God and <laughs> I'm auditioning wow. for You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown and <laughs> doing it. this monologue like, if God fucking exists, you let him come down here and fucking let me out of these shackles right now. Like, so I didn't, I didn't get the role of Linus. They said, we're terribly uh, sorry, but the auditions for You're a Mean Motherfucker, Charlie Brown. Like, <laughs> and then, yeah, so Saturday Night Live, I think, ended up doing like a thing of like David oh. Mamet uh, written You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And I was like, hmm. See, great See? minds. Yeah, Beat him to that it. Bond. <laughs> great minds on a single track. Hey, yeah. Yeah. SNL was started by a Canadian, Lauren Michaels. I've grown very fond of Canadian um, procedurals, like Murdoch mystery. <laughs> oh yes. And yes. Uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, uh, she's a private eye. I can't. It's a, another period show about a private eye. Oh, what is that? Um, Jane not, Private Aunt, no. Not Miss Fisher, but uh, uh, can't think of the name of it. But though, and there was a great one actually. It was done out in Vancouver uh, called Gideon's. Um, Gideon's. You ever auditioned for Gideon's that, Peter? Something. Never auditioned for that one. Hmm. Oh, it's it's terrific. I mean, it really is. That's a seriously good, right up there with the British ones. Are you talking about um, Private Eyes? I just looked at. Yeah, up. Private Eyes. Yeah. Is that what, that's really? in Toronto? That's shot in Toronto. Jason Priestley uh, and no, Cindy that's Jason Priestley. That's mm -hmm. I love Jason. He's an old friend, but but that's kind of you know. <laughs> uh, it's 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 uh, formulaic is the word. It's of not course. to the same level yes. as Murdoch Mysteries. Oh, a well, no, Murdoch piece. Mysteries is like it's just Sherlock Holmes because it all looks like it was shot on the same street on the back lot somewhere. <laughs> And it absolutely was Toronto, and mm -hmm. it's uh, you know they're trying to do Sherlock Holmes and Ragtime and the Alienist and all of these period things at once. The guy's very cute, so and, and <laughs> Yannick uh, Besson, uh, the other one, uh, the Listener. That guy is gorgeous. Oh, I got the Listener. I don't know if I've watched the Listener. Well, he's, he's, these are the shows that we should be paying attention to. He can read people's minds, and that's how he solves. Oh, there's a good one now that's you know coming out. He's reading their minds because the screen goes wavy. <laughs> sound, sound chamberish. There's another good one you got to look out for called the Surrealist. Ooh, so he's I've heard of that, but I yes, haven't seen it. Uh, it real estate agents who can, are trying to sell uh, houses, but they can't sell the houses because there's ghosts in the houses. So they have to oh, like help God. the ghosts get out of the house so that they can sell the houses. <laughs> too wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Amazing. Ghostbusters beat house flipping. Beats house yeah. Internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bringing up the Surrealists was perfect. A perfect segue to ask about ghosts. But I needed Peter's taste for dirt out of the way. And the best way to do that, help him get it. Another hard-hitting question coming up. Yeah. So this was just from Wikipedia and I wanted more info. Barbara Streisand offered you a ridiculously low wage uh, to write, and you declined the offer. Um, how 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 much? What was the number? <laughs> oh, I don't remember. It was ridiculously low for, for what she had. I mean, yeah. we never we never discussed sums, but it was. Low. I said to her, uh, I said that's that's really that's really very low. She said, "What should I do?" I said, "Sell a lamp." <laughs> she had um, she just unloaded all of her furniture because she was tearing the house down and building up a house that now has the little mall in the basement. that's right she's got a mall in her basement of her stuff huh. uh, and um 
and I got the, the when they made a movie about me twenty years ago called Get Bruce, produced by yeah. Harvey Weinstein, who mm -hmm. never laid a hand on me. Good, good. <laughs> Hashtag Why not me? <laughs> and uh, and that story, I told that story in the movie, and she she didn't speak to me for uh, about oh. years. She was very pissed off, and she said it wasn't true, and it was true. And I, you know, trotted out people who. I mean, there were agents involved. It wasn't just a conversation. So, and then she was sort of, she was mildly humbled by this and continued not speaking to me for five more years. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. And then well, finally, she holds a grudge. Yeah, We've learned that. Oh, I run into her places and she would kind of smile and go, hi, and then, you know, find something else to do right away. <laughs> oh, what's over here? I uh, couldn't even well, imagine hmm. running into Barbara Streisand, but also <laughs> having a problem well, I with run her. In. It's yeah. on the Oscar show when I was writing okay, it. That's right. yeah. Okay, that's fair. I didn't right. want to get into too much depth about it, but that I would I would see and benefits we both do. You know, right. we're on the same political team, so we would wind up doing uh, various fundraisers where we'd be on uh, on the show together. Yeah, and uh, uh, and the political team is the far right. Is it? Is that your? Yes, that's it. You've got it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we hate tags. We hate abortion. We hate all that. <laughs> I Don't mean... cross us. <laughs> We're the proud boys. <laughs> I yeah. like that. I like that George Takei uh, tried to like he's he reclaimed proud boys. Did what? you see that? Did he? No. So no, he, I... yeah, George Takei goes on Instagram and he says to all of my fellow uh, men out there, I think we need to show images of us in loving relationships, like maybe we're kissing or we're like getting married or whatever. It right. just like shows these two men and then use the hashtag proud boys because at our heart, we are just proud boys. Right. Good and people you. took to it. They're like, this is the best. So it was all these like yeah. pictures of that, loving couples. Yeah. George and I oh. have played, uh, have played a, couple of, a couple of times. Oh, yeah. We were in Don't Mess With the Zohan uh, at the oh, end. That's right, yeah. And we have one little scene at the end with, with um, uh, Dave Matthews. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we did a, uh, a pilot, which is uh, not going to get put that, which was kind of like Aww. a gay golden girls called Silver Foxes. <laughs> yeah. Can you, wait, can you, okay, like uh, maybe we're taking too much of your time, but can I hear about this pilot a little bit? Or is it is it recent or is it? <laughs> Uh, it was a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. Years ago, yeah. That sounds like a great uh, it, idea. It, it actually, it was. We did a table reader. It never got to shooting because it was. Uh, I think it was logo, and they were changing there. They were. I think they were afraid it was too old. Oh. But I mean, it was. It was. Listen, that was the argument about the Golden Girls. And yeah, exactly. Still watching it forty years later. Um, it was about uh, a couple in the in a uh, Palm Springs in a gated community in Palm Springs. And uh, I was B. Arthur, and <laughs> and he was uh, Betty White. Ironic, he was. Uh, and we were both retired, and uh, I was a loudmouth, and he was like the voice of sanity and reason. And but like not all that bright. And we had <laughs> living in our pool house. We had uh, a forty-year-old twink played by an actor named Todd Sherry, who's very funny, uh, who was uh, uh, being taken care of by a sugar daddy who kicked him out because he was too old to be a twink. Mm. And so he was crying his heart <laughs> out old. in the pool in our pool house. And the, then we got a call from our friend Leslie Jordan, who was obviously uh, Rue McClanahan. And uh, he was in a, a, a senior living place uh, where which was being run by 
far-right extremists. Oh, geez. And so he was, he'd been forced back in the closet. And so we, we went there and we kidnapped him and brought him back and he was living with us. And the woman who ran the place, Melissa Peterman, followed us and she became our ally. It was that kind of thing. And we had yeah. two lesbians living next door, Sherry O'Terry and an actress whose name I can't remember. Um, but, and one of them, uh, Sherry was like, uh, 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 Sherry was like the lipstick lesbian and uh, and her her wife was like the tool belt lesbian, and uh, they were both in real estate and they hated us, but they wanted to buy our house to flip it, and so they kept imposing you know, themselves upon <laughs> us to try and get us out of, out of the community. And it was a very funny premise. I thought all mm -hmm. oh, that, but there was no getting around it. You know, there was there was no Generation Z in there. You know, uh. none of us had none of us had a wise ass teenage daughter. Or any of that stuff, uh, right? And, uh, and I and Logo, I think, decided uh, that probably no. I mean, the explanation that was that that I got was these are the Golden Girls and Silver Foxes. The Golden Girls was uh, uh, look. Everybody has a funny old lady in their in their family. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has a funny gay uncle. Right, right. <laughs> and I, I guess, said, yeah. uh, "Look twice." <laughs> and I, you know, but what are you going to do? If they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. So yeah. hopefully something will happen with it. And if not, not. And if it happens <laughs> without me, it happens without me. So, no way. Well, no, I won't accept it. We won't accept it. We won't watch <laughs> it if you're not in it. I, you know, as I say many times, I'm too rich and I have too big a dick to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> And with that dick joke, it was time. Get into the questions that would in turn reveal a hilarious encounter with a ghost, elevating our tiny podcast to new heights that we could be proud of because we were prepared when the opportunity was there. Our Bette Midler moment. Are you a morning person or a night person? Oh, night. I'm vampire tip. Mm -hmm. uh, what and time I always is... was. My mother said I was a nocturnal child. I was up all night, not fussing, but just up. And then she'd have to wake me up during the day to show me to people. <laughs> and I was pissed off, so she'd give me a cookie, and I would, uh, you know. Oh, yes. I relate to that, too. a lot. I was explaining why I was a portly child. <laughs> <laughs> I always had a hard time getting up for school. I'm very much a night person as well. 4 a.m. is usually, that's a good bedtime, you know, I find. It really is. One of the nice things about show business is you can actually, if you're in the right uh, end of it, you can... Uh, you can you can work those hours. I mean, yeah. if you work in, in theater or nightclubs and stuff, except when you're rehearsing in theater, you have to be up in the morning. But once you're into the run, um, you don't really have to show up until the afternoon. Right. But then if, you, if you're working in television or the movies, I mean, the, those start very early in the morning. It's the worst part about having any success in that at all is that you have to wake up at it's like 4.30 in the morning to... Yeah. To sit in a trailer for five hours. That's just <laughs> you ain't kidding. That. Yeah, I want to add a people third... have lives. People have separate lives lived in their trailers. It's true. I want to add a third category to that though, because like I kind of feel like I'm not a morning or a night person. I feel like just I'm not a not a person. I'm not a person. Yeah. Is there an so afternoon you're, person? You're what we yeah. call what a, a diverse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just like I don't like mornings Versatile. and like That's I don't like cool. evenings. <laughs> <laughs> this time of the year this time of the year yeah yeah but you, people you realize uh, you realize when like if you if you have a power failure you realize why people never did anything at night 
because once it gets dark, there's nothing to do. When it's really dark. <laughs> yeah, you can't see so it. That's when all that's when all the fucking starts, and that's why. Right. <laughs> yeah, I always used to like the phrase um, when people go, "You're missing the best part of the day," and you go, "Well, you're missing the best part of the night." And it, you can just drop the mic. Hopefully, you have a mic yeah. in your hand that you can drop. It's a beautiful line. I'll, I'll say though that when when I have to get up in the morning for something, it, it, I do feel ridiculously productive because I've gotten so much yep. more done. But nothing feels better. It feels great, but it's something I'd want to do every single day. <laughs> God no, it's not my nature. It's once a week is good because I like to be up at three o'clock in the morning. You know, writing and watching things and um well i mean we're coming up on on an hour here right. already maybe i'll ask this final hard-hitting question you don't even have to right. answer it okay here we go um is this gonna be is it gonna be very dramatic we should end on a good dramatic note okay good. yes okay yes okay. have you ever seen a ghost very important no <laughs> and there it was a failure the question we thought would be the deepest and richest was in fact the shortest answer of them all. Where had our thinking gone wrong? The room started spinning. How could we have been so stupid? No, I fancied yeah. I did, but I didn't really. I, don't, I mean, I don't believe in them. You don't, I, don't that, in, I mean, that was the follow-up I don't question. believe in any of that shit. <laughs> I don't believe in no. aliens. I don't believe in ghosts. I just don't believe in any of it. It's very entertaining. And uh, I, I mean, I think there is a certain kind of telepathic thing that does happen. I mean, uh, I, I've had the, that experience where, like, I was in trouble and my mother showed up out of nowhere. Whoa. Right. And, yeah. And it was kind of like there was there was some sort of a psychic bond. I believe that that kind of stuff can happen. I don't think that there is, you, you know, talk to the dead and seances and all of that. But I do think there is some there is, you know, occasionally people can latch on to each other was that like mentally. it was in your like you heard her voice it was in her in your head or no no uh she just happened upon where i was i was in trouble i oh. was in trouble i was being beaten up by some kids and she showed up she had no reason to be there i think she just had a feeling something it was a feeling something was i mean we yeah. all had premonitions i mean i think that those things are, are very real and of course dreams are are real in the sense that people come and talk to you in your dreams and uh if you remember what they say it's very valuable yeah <laughs> but it's yeah. also i mean people people make connections with the dead in their dreams i believe that that's true but i think that that's us i don't think that's the dead coming to coming you. in yeah i think Memories you're making and... you're making a connection with something that happened in your life with that person that yeah. uh, that is uh I don't know, is, is doing a number on you, but it's all. The brain is a fascinating thing. And of course, of course, it comes up with all this other bubamice, which is the language of my other people, the Jews, that um, all this bubamice that, that makes you think it's coming from some outward source, when in fact it's coming from within. From within, yeah. And then it became clear. Wow, that's a very good question. What a very good question. It's an interesting question. I mean, it... we had great questions. We just needed to look past our own Canadian self-deprecation. Maybe if we believed in ourselves from the beginning, we'd be too rich with dicks that are too big to care as well. 
we were looking somewhere out there for the greatest interview question to get the greatest interview answer. But just like Fievel from American Tale looking somewhere out there for his family, we also needed to look closer. We also needed to look right under our nose. We needed to look within. We were, we're just, talking about, like, I was supposed to, I was going to have a hilarious encounter with a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> he was right. We did. This time, this time, this time, this time, it's different. With Peter and Chris. This time, this time, this time, this time, it's different. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 